Good afternoon. It is time for Pet Chat. So wonderful to be back. And we've got the A-team today. Cheryl Shaw, welcome. <laughs> David Tabret, hello. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for that. Look, I'm trying not to um, get a bit starstruck because you're both popping up in our local papers, writing articles. David, mm. you're disagreeing with people. It's fantastic. Cheryl, you're giving expert <laughs> advice. Look at you two. Yeah, we're out there. You are. It's fantastic yes. to see. On a serious note, it is really great to see because you're obviously giving advice and giving your thoughts on different mediums, which is mm. nice. Uh, I, I think that there's a thirst for information and knowledge. People are out there, and that's why we do the show. Well, now, Cheryl, we're spotlighting um, a breed of dog today, and it's the Maltese. Yes, the lovely little Maltese. Maltese are a toy breed dog, and unfortunately, because we have so many designer dogs now, Maltese as a purebred are often being overlooked, but they make delightful pets. They're really, really funny little characters, um, and they're just so loyal to you. One of the um, things about little Maltese is they're one of the oldest breeds around so they're very ancient they don't really know where they came from but it's said to become from from the mediterranean around the isle of malta so we really don't understand their origin but they certainly are or were very popular particularly with women and they were used um, as an accessory once upon a time but that's certainly <laughs> well and truly gone but when you're selecting a dog it's really um it's a little bit like buying a car we all have different brands or, or vehicles that we like and cars and dogs, um, there's so many choices. But the Little Maltese is great for um, women that are on their own. So the elderly, um, they make just really fantastic little um, lap dogs for them. But they're also great for families and they are real people pleasers. I'm a bit snuffly today. Oh, Cheryl, everyone's got the... Yeah, but Maltese aren't really a dog that likes to live outside. So they're really one of those dogs that want to be inside and like all of the comforts that you can give them. Their personality is really very playful. They're a happy little breed and they're very affectionate and intelligent. But they're also courageous and alert. So you need to be careful if you do get a Maltese that you start training early. Otherwise, you'll have a little yappy dog. And, and that's what a lot of people walk at, isn't it, with yes. the Maltese, is that they're going to be yappers. Yeah, so early training. And look, they are easy to train. And particularly for toilet training, they are just so switched on. They're yeah. a very clean little dog. Um, but you don't want them to become a terrorist. So, you know, you must do that training very early. They do enjoy the company of their um, family members. And, you know, they're happy just to chill on the lounge with you but also if you're out gardening they'll hang around while you do all of the work yeah. they just love company for um, grooming purposes it's really important that you groom them regularly now you know home brushing will keep that coat because it's a very soft coat it's very silky and fine if you don't brush it it will mat and those mats will become really quite tight and tangles really do hurt so it is important to to brush them regularly or if you're not wanting to do that you can have them clipped and you know that makes it easier for home maintenance you don't always have to have the long full coated Maltese a lot of people pull their hair up on their top knot and put pretty Bows yeah. and things in them to keep their hair out of their eyes. But one of the things that you must remember too is to keep a check on their ears because they've got quite um, long, heavy ears that hold down against the face. Air can't get into the ear canal, so they are prone to a few problems with ears. But if you keep a check on those and keep, you know, making sure that they're clean, you shouldn't have any problems. Another thing with Maltese is that they're really lazy eaters, so they like, like, you know, wet food and gravies and things like that. 
nothing that they have to work hard at and this causes a problem because if they're not having sort of hard kibble and crunchy things they'll get problems with their teeth and this is a real issue particularly if you've got that little dog on your lap and that's got that smelly doggy breath so you must make sure that they're eating well and that their diet is um, you know quite um, just making sure that they're eating that kibble to keep those teeth really clean. Their life expectancy is usually around 12 to 15 years. I say they're like perpetual puppies because they just seem to never grow up. They just grow old. They do, yeah. Um, But to keep them healthy, you know, obviously regular vet checks and making sure that, you know, your dog is is being checked over and that can give the dog, um, obviously, longevity. So they just make wonderful little pets. Yeah. Uh, I've obviously got Gizmo. He's 12 years old. I found him in a dubbo market and um he's been my best mate great dog Mm. and you know with the yappy um we did training with him and he's pretty good he will bark when someone comes to the door um but i don't mind that because it gives me a bit of some security i guess absolutely we all want to know when someone's around we just don't want to have that continual bark yeah that's right and he's never stepped outside in his life that's a lie so i was going to say you know he's fine he wouldn't his feet have never hit the ground What? No, of no. course, but he does live most of his days, uh, you know, inside in the, in the, in the lap sun. of luxury. Yeah, 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 by choice. He does, but he does. He comes out when we're outside playing. He'll yeah. the other day we we're playing soccer, and I thought he was a puppy. He's running after the ball, and he's oh, yeah. They're just really happy little life. characters. They, they really are. are great pets. Yeah, they are. Now, look, before we uh, take any more calls, four nine two one six two one six is our number. We did have Sandra from New Lambton that phoned hmm. before, and we couldn't hear her unfortunately, but. Uh, David, our receptionist, has told us that um, her German Shepherd puppy was digging holes. That Mm. was the issue, David. So I don't know whether you can give any advice just off that. Well, um, some of it would be variable depending on age and how long this has been going on for. But presumably, at least under 12 months anyway, we're talking about uh, a fairly common behaviour that we see. And to a large extent, a lot of this is just excess energy. Dogs are in the backyard. You know, there's not that much to do. And so digging holes is very rewarding. It brings up a lot of different smells into their nose. And so it's also an activity that expends some energy as well. So a lot of dogs will do this purely just to relieve that mental boredom, get rid of some of that energy. And as I said, it gives them a bit more stimulation through the smells and so on. Um, Occasionally they'll, you know, find a worm and things like that. And that just kind of rewards them for Mm. what they've been doing. So a lot, of, a lot of the time then we focus on what other ways can we provide what's called environmental enrichment, where we're actually adding things into their environment, so it could be in the backyard, that is rewarding an activity and gets rid of some energy. And a German Shepherd puppy, uh, Cheryl, we were talking before, they're fantastic. They've mm, got so beautiful. much energy. And so you really have to make sure they're, they're getting their walks, mm-hmm. you know, as well, because those walks where... You know, you're out for a good half hour or so. Are also going to burn they up get some energy. Smells as well, and and it's going to it. going to provide that mental stimulation mm. as well. Um, but puppies do certainly then require something else, and things like the kongs that you know you can fill them with some food, fruit, wrap them in glad wrap, freeze them, get them out of the freezer each morning, give them to the dog. It'll keep them going for hours. Okay. Um, obviously, things like ball games, like you were just saying you know, a good idea as well. But if you're not there, then you've got to find an activity that provides that enrichment, provides that stimulation and gets rid of some of that excess energy. Um, but short term, I'd often say just walk, walk your dog more yeah. twice yeah. a day, 
you know, get sometimes, them out. Get them sometimes that's what you need to do. Okay. Michelle's called in from Metford about Maltese Terrier. Hello, Michelle. Hello, how are you? We're yeah. good. How can we help you? It's quite funny when you talk about Maltesers. I've got um, one, he's about a year old and he's funny and he's cuddly, but he's naughty as well. But he, I'm in a wheelchair and he's got a thing for licking my toes and we go mad at him. <laughs> I know, and I've, I've heard this before about some of these little dogs have this kind of innate, uh, I, mean, I don't want to say kill behaviour, but they do, <laughs> sometimes they attack these toys and you think, yeah. oh, I can see the wolf in you. Yeah, you know? the amount of squeakers yeah. we've had out of toys is ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, they love it. And is the toe, is the toe licking a problem? <laughs> is it, Michelle, the toe licking, is that a problem? No, it's not Problems is funny and yeah. annoying. Yeah. Go away, you bugger! Leave my toes alone. <laughs> Just a, a and because I'm because I'm a silly vet, um, so I'll always throw a bit of a science thing in here. Dogs' mouths are uh, not very clean despite what we think and so you, yeah. you also just need to make sure that you haven't got any um, anyone else licking your toes after the Maltese yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you meant David well that's not where I was going but um, Sarah's covered it all thank uh, you your dog sounds like a lot of fun Michelle <laughs> he's, naughty, he's like he's like a baby you leave something on the floor there's no way to have he's got it and he takes off with it. Yeah. No. And then he push toes you and you're like, give us that here and then he runs away with it. Yeah, half of it winds up out the front lawn. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Gee, sounds like good company, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you so much yeah, for your good call. Yeah, good story. <laughs> good, good story. Thank you. You started something, Cheryl. Maybe you need to cover a breed. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Is that a bonding thing, David? Maybe he likes the smells going on and thinks... Oh, um, I, I just keep going to, back to Princess Fergie, but anyway. <laughs> that's just, sorry, that's too long ago, isn't it? That's <laughs> too long ago. Yeah. We've moved on. Oh, no. Have a look at our dog of the week a little later on today. He's a good yeah. one today, isn't he? We've yeah. been checking out his picture and having a good old laugh. You can do it too, to nurfm.com. Just head to dog of the week. Now, David, today we're having a look at blood transfusions. Mm. Amongst our pets. So w- one of the things we regularly do through our hospital is we need to source uh, blood donations from pets, dogs and cats. Um, the problem with cat blood is that it doesn't store very well. Oh. So we generally have to collect it fresh whenever we need to give a transfusion. So um, whereas for dogs, we can store the blood a lot longer, a bit like humans where they can store blood for, you know, a month or so uh, for whole blood anyway. So blood transfusions is a very common uh, treatment that we use for uh, dogs and cats uh, in certain situations. And the kind of things that we see um, that we are treating are things like trauma. There's um, rat bait poisoning where we're getting um, bleeding from that. Um, anytime there's bleeding from the gut, because dogs can lose a lot of blood through the gut, um, 
sometimes we'll see other causes of anemia, which is low red blood cells, and that affects the oxygen-carrying capacity of the blood to the point where we have to give a blood transfusion. Probably one of the other things we do blood transfusions for is when there's bleeding from a tumour, particularly in the abdomen, and they, they can lose a lot of blood, so we need to replace that. Um, we can also use not just whole blood, okay? Blood's made up of liquid, which is generally called plasma, and cells, and the most important cell in the blood is red blood cells. So we can actually split that up and we'll have what's called packed red blood cells, and that means that the red blood cells are a bit more concentrated, and that we use that for all those conditions I just talked about. But for plasma, we actually have frozen plasma that we can buy, and that actually is used for things like um, rat bait poisoning, that's one, but also uh, severe infections um, like sepsis or septic shock that we see from, you know, could be a really bad bacterial or viral infection, things like that. And sometimes even in snake bite, uh, we would give plasma transfusion. So there's a whole range of problems that we would see where pets require uh, blood or plasma transfusions and... We can um, use blood that we've purchased or we can actually collect it ourselves and it probably works better when we collect it the fresher it is. So, David, if we've got healthy pets, can we bring them in and donate some of so, their blood, so yeah, to speak? Yeah, that's right. There is um, a couple of criteria, like there's age criteria, make sure they're not on any, uh, you know, they don't have um, different diseases. So generally the dogs, for instance, would have to be two years of age up to about 10 um, and then size is important as well because based on the volume of blood that we collect so they can't be a little Maltese for instance yeah. we, we don't collect blood you're safe Gizzy yeah, yeah, Gizzy's safe <laughs> but one day Gizzy might need a blood transfusion yeah yeah um, and so we would have blood that we've collected from obviously a much bigger dog generally over about 20 25 kilos is the size of dog. Okay. Uh, they must be free of disease. How, can you check that, or is that just an um, honesty policy? Or is it oh, like... Disease? Well, yeah. certainly they've got to be fully vaccinated. Okay. And then we would also do a blood count okay. and, and look at their blood and make sure that, for instance, we've had some dogs come in to donate blood, and then we would take a blood test and go, actually... He kind of needs a blood transfusion. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know, you know his, his red cells are getting pretty low and there's something going on. Um, so sometimes we pick up problems yeah. when we do that. Yeah. Um, we also check their liver and kidney function and the electrolytes or the salts in the blood, that sort of thing, um, just to make sure. And as part of a regular program for these dogs that we do use as uh, donors, regular donors, and they can generally donate about, we usually keep them on a schedule of every three months. Okay, they, they so it's obviously very safe for the animal. and Yeah, just generally the pet will come in. They often, um, you know, we might need to do a blood test at that time. We, also, we always check before a donation, we check to make sure that their own red blood cells are adequate. Yep. And um, some dogs have a sedative and some are quite happy just to lie there. Okay. And then it's pretty much exactly the same as people um, where we have a, a blood collection kit. It's exactly the same as what's used in people. And um, we take it from the large jugular vein in the neck. Okay. So they just lie there and um, as soon as they're done, they uh, just have a bandage put on it. It takes about 20 minutes to half an hour. Uh, and then we give them some roast chicken. Oh, <laughs> so not a milkshake, <laughs> roast chicken. Bit of 
Yeah, that's great. So uh, do you often get owners that say, look, I want to donate my, my dog to, to provide some blood? Or is it usually people that have had experience with transfusions for possibly other pets? Uh, well, probably both. Okay. Yeah. I think generally, depending on the... Obviously, if someone came in and said, oh, I want my dog to donate, and it's a Maltese or a small dog, it's... Not going to happen. And it's it's much appreciated, the sentiment, but it just, uh, for the reasons we talked about, it can't happen. But we certainly do get people who contact us and say, oh, you know, I've got a big dog, and I've heard about this, or, you know, a friend okay. of mine had, had a dog that had a blood transfusion. And it does certainly make a difference to, as I said, uh, the fresher the blood, the uh, the better, because what's happening is that if we have to purchase blood um, and it sits in our fridge, we really can't use it after about four or five weeks. Okay. And certainly yep. after six weeks, it's no good. Okay. There's more, more harm would come from giving the blood right. at that stage. Uh, it just doesn't carry the oxygen as well. And do you find that you get to, to use most of that blood, that there's not... Or is it? I guess it's hard mm. to judge depending on what cases you yeah, have that's, coming in that's as right. to what's getting yeah. disposed of. So I mentioned before about plasma. Well, that can be kept frozen for you know two years. So okay. that's that's not too bad. But the um, uh, red cells, which have to be kept fresh and they're kept in the fridge, as I said, really up to four to six weeks. Um, so we just can't predict. We do know, for instance, that at certain times of the year hitting spring and summer we might do more sure um because of the diseases and the problems that we see where they would require a transfusion but otherwise we just have to wait and see yeah so dave we've we've touched on um the process for dogs and Mm. some of the requirements what about cats though you're not going to get a 25 kilo cat (laughs) (laughs) it's not real healthy if we do so it's a little bit different for cats for sure um the just on the just but differences between cats and dogs also I didn't mention is that blood types. So dogs have a lot more um, blood types, but most of the blood types, we don't get much interference, you know, between okay. one and the other. Right. There are a few caveats there. Cats have uh, fewer blood types or f- fewer significant blood types, but they actually have much more significant... So uh, they have to be matched. Yes. Yes. Okay. Cats have to be matched. And there are certain breeds that have a higher prevalence of, you know, A or B, so on. So we always have to um, blood type and match with our cats, um, which makes it difficult because if we have, uh, and we can't keep the blood, so if we have a cat comes in and it needs a transfusion, we have to get a donor that matches. So you can't store cat blood at all? No. Oh, okay. No, it doesn't store very well. Right. And so we have to collect it fresh. Okay. Um, back to the size, generally over four kilos, similar thing with age, and we do uh, checks on their blood. We look for viral diseases that can be a problem, obviously. Uh, feline leukemia virus and feline immunodeficiency virus, make sure they're not present. Um, and then what we do is we a similar procedure. We're collecting the blood through from the neck, but we're collecting it into a syringe, we're generally about 50 mils. Okay. That's the volume, whereas for a dog it would be like 400. Yeah, right. So it would be a lot quicker process for a cat? Um, Although that would be a lot more difficult. It's a little more fiddly, <laughs> yeah, I find. Okay. And, okay. yeah. So whereas the dogs, you, they're much bigger, so, you know, everything's a bit easier yep. to access. But certainly the, t- the time of collecting the blood is probably the shortest part of the whole thing. Sure. So if people are interested, 
um, they can chat to you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, either through uh, 2NURFM and um, I'll get any messages or can certainly um, contact me through the um, Animal Referral Centre. And um, we've, we do have, as I said, a, a push on at the moment. And pretty much every veterinary, veterinarian and veterinary clinic in the region would have need for blood donors at various times. But because of a lot of the factors we've talked about, some of those things uh, mean that we will actually get sent patients that we look after, that we provide the transfusion. Because okay. it's a pretty intensive exercise. And, you know, if you're a little GP clinic, you don't want to have dog blood in your fridge that goes out of date. You've got to throw it out. Yeah. You know, yeah. it costs you hundreds of dollars. Yeah. You're just throwing it out yeah. four weeks later. Yeah. So That's for that reason, we often do get sent a lot of patients okay. as well. But Steve from Barnsley, you've got a question about diseases in pigeons. Hello, Steve. G'day, David. Hey, well, what can we do for you? Mate, uh, are you familiar or have you been told about the rotavirus that was introduced... Oh, early last year in WA and it spread right across. More so in race pigeons, but I have domestic pigeons. I let them out, yeah. etc. Yeah. I have them well trained um, so they don't go feral. Um, and I maintain I don't go in other people's lofts and no one comes in mine. I don't, More so. I don't know the specifics of this one. Um, I do remember some uh, news articles in the veterinary world um, going back a uh, year or two ago yeah. about um, this virus in WA. But um, rotaviruses are very common across a lot of species, so we do see them right. in different species. And as you said, like they'll attack the gut. So that's, that's a pretty common scenario. Now, that, that doesn't mean they jump species or anything. Um, right. But that particular virus, and you, you've raised an interesting point about how you've kept your loft separate and um, hopefully to reduce the spread or the introduction of this virus into your birds. Is that that's really where your main concern will be? My concern, I suppose, there's people may have some pet pigeons at home yeah. and they don't know about it and possibly... Um, because I'm able to speak to you, yeah. um, they will now know, know about that. Yeah. Um, um, it, it, it's a big concern that I have that because it's a new thing um, being introduced to Australia. Yeah, look, it's one I think we might chase up some more info for us on that, but it, it, you have also raised an important point about... When you do have animals and with these diseases, and not just rotavirus, but a whole lot of things, you know, how do you maintain the health and prevent introduction of problems into your animals, be it birds or whatever? And this requires a degree of uh, awareness, as you said, but also talking with the experts in um, both veterinarians and in the groups, say, uh, pigeon societies and so on about how we can prevent this spreading around. So obviously with some animals we have viruses that we use vaccinations for but even when we do have vaccines 
we still need to maintain good, clean health and make sure that we don't have um, what we call wild animals, I guess, uh, with the virus coming into your animals. So it's a good advice at this stage, and I'll chase up some more info. And going to Dorothy from Gateshead. Uh, Dorothy, you've got a kitty cat with sunburnt ears. Yes, I have, and she is really, really bad. How old's really your, bad. How old's your she, poor cat, Dorothy? Five. Oh, dear. And she's all white, yes. is she? No, just her head is white. The rest of her is black and white. Yeah. Um, it's, it is a very common problem we see in white-skinned, uh, white-haired animals, both dogs and cats. We see a lot of this in bull terrier dogs, but certainly a lot of cats on the tips of their ears and also on their nose as well. So we do see they develop uh, squamous cell carcinomas, the sun cancers. Um, yes. Now... I'm going to go back a few years here, but my recollection was there was a lot of different ideas around how to prevent this. And one of the things people would do is to put uh, sun cream on, like literally sunscreen that you use. Her her, her ears are so bad now, you'd think they'd have to be cut off. That's how bad they are. Yeah, and that's... They come out in big sores. I can't take it to the vet because I just can't afford it at the moment. Yeah. So, yeah, I just don't know what to do about her. Once we get to the stage where there's sores visible, then we just treat it like a normal wound, if you like. So there's a couple of different wound gels that you can get, and you can pick them up over the counter from your vet and just tell them what's going on and say, look, until I can get in here, you know, money-wise, can I just have some wound cream to keep this under yeah. control? Well. They did give me some wound cream, because I've taken it to the vet three times so far, and they gave me some cream, but as soon as she sees the cream, she runs. She runs and hides, and I can't find them. And now I just don't know how how to put it on her. You know, it's just driving me insane. Yeah, a lot of cats will be very uh, averse to any sort of treatment and they they take off. They might let you do it once and then that's it. Yes, well, Uh, that's what she did. So that that often brings up the thing about trying to use like either a towel to wrap them, or a um, uh, and then giving them a little bit of uh, um, you can put butter or something on their face so that they can lick it while they're getting their ears treated. So it's not an unpleasant experience. Using a few little tips and tricks like that. Um, when we wrap them up in a towel, just have a head out, and then give us some treats, and then maybe even the first time, don't do anything to her ears. And then she won't mind it so much. Obviously, it's a bit of a two-person job, though. Mm. Um, but longer term, I was going to say surgery is the way to go with those. And I know that can be a, a bit of an expense and certainly a bit traumatic. But if you don't do that, the, these ears will be a problem. Okay. Thank you for the call, Dorothy. Before we go, we've got to look at our Dog of the Week. You can look as well to NURFM.com. Click on more at the top and then Dog of the Week. Well, please meet the handsome boost. Now, Cheryl and David, I think you agree this is one of the best pictures we've mm. seen. Yeah. Now, he looks exactly like Scooby-Doo. He does. And he's a Sharpay cross. Is those that... ears. Yeah. Look at those. He's got his ears out <laughs> and he's looking up. It's like he's, you know, trying to solve, you know, the question to a math. <laughs> 
mathematical <laughs> equation or something. Look, he's a loving puppy. Uh, he loves lots of cuddles and affection. He looks like it as well. He's been trained to live both inside and out. Uh, he knows how to use a doggy door. Might have to be a fairly sizable yeah. doggy door. <laughs> He will need to live in a household that has high fences as he's a medium to large dog. He's very fond of people and other dogs. He isn't great with small pets and cats, though. So if you've got small pets or a cat, not for you. Uh, but he's very clever. He needs someone to help him finish off his training. He would suit a loving family, probably with older children, because he is quite a big dog uh, and he's still a puppy. And energetic. He's energetic. He's mm. going to jump. He's going to jump and give you cuddles and that sort of thing. So for more information on Boost, please head to 2NURFM.com. He does look fantastic. And look, that's just about all we've got time for today. Cheryl Shaw, thank you for thank imparting you, your knowledge on Maltese. That spurred on some questions. And Dr David Tabret, well, thank you for all of your other knowledge on blood transfusions. No worries. Thanks, That was Sarah. very interesting. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I love about Pet Chat. We are back same time next week.